Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Small Town Tourist Podcast, where we experience and explore everything that makes small towns great. I'm your host, Abby, and today we are hanging out with three really cool guys. I probably could have talked to these guys for another at least hour if it hadn't been for my free Zoom subscription timing out on me. (laughs) No, these guys were absolutely wonderful. We're talking with the guys who wrote the book, Growing Up Aspen, Adventures of the Unsupervised. That's Andy Colleen, Chris Pomeroy, Dean Jackson, and Lo Semple. We only got to hang out with three of them on the podcast. The fourth couldn't make it. Totally fine. They had such great stories to share, and I'm so excited for you to hear this episode and enjoy our time hanging out with them because they are just a hoot, and they got a story for everything. And those are my kind of people. (laughs) I highly recommend you check out the book Growing Up Aspen, Adventures of the Unsupervised. I got a link for you to purchase it down in the show notes below. It's a great read. Please enjoy your time hanging out with these guys. It's just a blast. Are we still waiting on one more, right? Um, I think so. We might need to uh, start because Lo said he's got a couple things that's tying him up. So he may join in in, in a little bit. So he might chime in if we, if you want to get started and then have him come in. That probably will be what happens, I think. Sure. I can make that work. Okay. Cool. So I start every podcast. We'll just kind of do a round robin here. I'm going to need your name, where you're from, and what you do. And if you want to say that you're from Aspen and then give where you currently live as well. That'd be cool. So we will start with Dean since you're first on my screen here. Okay. I'm Dean Jackson. I was born in New Jersey, grew up in Colorado and Aspen, then moved to New York. And now I live in the Bay Area, San Francisco. I head the project management division of a property management firm. And I dabble in acting, which was my passion in college and obviously in writing. Wonderful. Chris, you're next. I grew up in Aspen. I was uh, actually born in Denver, but carried over in a straw basket, as you will. So, uh, But grew up in Aspen, um, left Colorado in 2002, and moved with my wife to Athens, Georgia, which is where we live now. We have uh, two kids, two dogs, two cats, and a bunch of fish. Double down on everything except for those fish. You got to have multiples of those. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Got a bunch of those. Okay, Andy, you're next. Okay, I'm Andy Collin. I was born in UCLA Hospital. We moved in the mid-70s to Aspen to get away from, because pollution was kind of going up and down. LA was pretty polluted at the time. And so my parents were like, we got to get out of here. And so we moved to Aspen, which at the time was sort of a really amazing little community. Lived there until through college and then decided that my career, I had sculpted when I was a little kid. I'd make some money by sculpting little characters on the mall and selling them. So I, art was one of the areas, but you know, in college you go do what your parents tell you to do. So psychology kind of thing. And in college, I realized animation is what I wanted to do. So I went to LA and worked for Animation Magazine. And there I realized where all the animators are coming from and all, I mean, I, we had a film festival. It was like the biggest one in the States at the time. And so there were people from all over the world sending animation. And I saw Portland actually had quite a few independent animators here. So I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon, which is where I'm at, where I'm at now. And I run uh, Happy Trails Animation, 
which is my own little studio. But through that, I also worked at Will Vinton. They did the California Raisins. So I kind of, that was, you know, training back then you didn't have, I think there were three universities that did animation at all, like CalArts, RISD, and there might've been one more. But the only way to learn was to go out and get a job and go do it in the trenches. And so I ended up being at that time frame where it was switching out. And so I ended up doing it that way. And I got up to work at Jim Blashfield. He did a lot of the music videos for MTV, like Tears for Fears, uh, Sowing the Seeds of Love, Boy in the Bubble with Paul Simon. So it's all that photo cutout, really cool stuff at the time. And so I kind of got my foot in the door working for some of those guys and then ended up doing my own studio. And so that's what we're doing now is I'm working on a doing school safety project for kids so we're trying to make it where it's fun and nice comics and you know animated little informational stuff so that's kind of where we're at now it's just so interesting hearing where you guys are all at currently all the different routes you've taken in this life but the thing that ties you all together is the town of aspen and that's what we're here to talk about today is your book growing up aspen adventures of the unsupervised which is a great title (laughs) So you guys all came together to collaborate on this book. Tell me how this project got started. Go Go ahead. Well, yeah, I was going to say Andy, Andy uh, hit me up a few years ago and and said, Hey, I got this idea. I wanted to pull some people in on a, on an idea uh, of writing a book about growing up in Aspen because it is such a unique area and such a crazy time that we grew up there. And I, I said, well, just so happens I started writing a bunch of stuff for my kids so they would know that uh, it was a totally different time and uh, we we had a different upbringing than what they had. So uh, as we moved along, we kind of pulled in Dean and then we pulled in Lowe. Lowe had done a bunch of stuff for the Aspen Times and uh, kind of became a pet project both for COVID and then Andy had uh, some some time off so he had to focus on uh doing something else so he was doing uh, yeah I, it, what happened was right before covid we were all talking you know uh, phone calls back and forth and i talked to dean and then i talked to chris and we'd be talking about aspen in the old times and some things and i started to realize that a lot of people online on social media it was like which year are you you know it was mm-hmm. like it was like different badges and different things for what times whether it was the 40s and the 50s which was you know sort of the cowboys and the hippies or was it the people who came in and sort of set up the businesses or is it now and so there's like these different times it's the 50s the 60s the 70s and so everybody's always saying this is the best time And what we started to realize was it's an escape. Aspen is away, away from everything. And so no matter what time it is, it's always going to (laughs) be cool and a fun place. And so we sort of kind of realized that maybe we should tell our different stories and our different sides and come at it so that when you read the book, you get introduced by my chapter, but then you start to hear all the other chapters and everybody sort of has their own spin on it. Like we all went to similar events, just Mm -hmm. different, you know, so you hear about what happened at the stage area over there instead of over at the food place. You know what I mean? And so it sort of comes together and weaves together. Like, like Dean was saying, it's sort of a Venn diagram of that time period. Chris had put me back in contact with Andy after many years in the two years before COVID. And so uh, my wife and I went up to Portland to visit and ended up hanging out with them and kind of rebuilding 
an old friendship. And my wife became really close with with Andy's wife, Amy. And then COVID hit. So we were having these Zoom cocktail hours, what have you, yeah. the course of COVID pretty much once a week. And that's when the ideas for the book between me and Andy started to percolate. And we all made a conscious decision not to really share with each other exactly what we were writing about and to trust that there would be overlap. And there was. I mean, uh, both Chris and I write about lawn darts. (laughs) (laughs) Or selling newspapers. Yeah, well, we all wrote about selling newspapers. There was a lot of crossover with which what we all experienced. And we kind of trusted that that would happen. And that's exactly what happened. And it kind of made the story universal because, you know, it's not only in Aspen that kids sell newspapers. Well, and also you got to remember, too, when we say sell newspapers, a lot of people think, oh, you have your route and you go over and you get your papers, you ride down and you throw them down your neighborhoods like they show you in the movies and stuff. And in Aspen, that's not how they did. It was a really small town. So we we were hawkers. Yeah, it was was a tourist town and it was a free for all. And so all the kids would run down at the end of school as quick as you could get. The bell would go out and everybody run with their packs and run down to where the print, where the newspapers were freshly printed. And as soon as they'd say go, you'd run across the street, everybody just running, trying to get through past each other. And this was this was guys and girls. It was the same. Nobody yeah. wasn't like everybody was in it. <laughs> and it was it's like it's like a case study in capitalism. You know, <laughs> it was just this, you know, these little preteens just fighting and killing each other to get get the the sales from all the tourists. And, yeah, uh, and, but, and y'all, everybody had their own turf, and they would defend it with their life. yeah, yeah, those little little mafias. Yeah, uh, Chris, Chris and I had some tricks. We would sell to the drunk people in the bars. Ooh, smart. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing about the newspapers is you bought them for a dime. The selling price was 20 cents. You were guaranteed to double your uh, money. But the guy, the folks in the bars, they'd give you a $5 bill for a paper. Yeah, they were they were a little looser with their uh, their fun coupons. One thing about the title that I think is important, especially for, for readers outside of specifically Aspen, where it really resonates on a generational level in that unsupervised when when we say we were unsupervised i mean we were unsupervised it's a gen x kind of thing universally but it's almost like exponentially more intense in aspen where we grew up because we had a free bus system so we had free access to get all around town uh, our parents were all super busy working sometimes two three jobs just to just to keep it going and of course we had nothing to do when we weren't in school or we weren't on the slopes. So we roamed around and got in trouble, you know, <laughs> did, did silly stuff. So uh, I mean, there were always, there was always um, like parents around, but it was, might not be your parent. And so in a way we all sort of had many parents, no matter who you were, what group you hung out with, whether you were the jocks or whether you were the theater person or whether you were the computer. I mean, I was also in early computer stuff. So you know, it. I felt like it was interesting because when you are in a small community, you do sort of mix together a little bit more, even though you might be considered one of those other cliques, you know? Well, I mean, there's a lot is- of truth to that. There's a, there's a story I told before. Uh, it's not in the book, but 
We we had a local TV station in Aspen. It was called Grassroots Television, and it mostly just played re- on replay these tapes of uh, you know local interviews and real estate for sale and all this stuff. But they would have an occasional ad for some of the bars downtown, and we would always see our friends, our high school and middle school friends, on the dance floor at the bar, and <laughs> and I would you know I was saying well. What what is Klaus doing at the Tipler? Why is he dancing there? He's supposed to be, you know, it's curfew or whatever. And, <laughs> and the the saying is is that the cops knew that we were in the bars and we were doing this stuff. It was just they they kind of turned a blind eye to it because it was their way of knowing, hey, they're not going to get in trouble there, you know. At least Nobody's they're supervised in the bar. <laughs> I, I, I I would go to um, ironically enough a place called Dean Street. And when I walked in the door, the bartender would set up a Corona for me on the bar. <laughs> and I'm 16, 17. Yeah. So it's just kind of, everybody I, was watching out for us, but nobody was really looking over our shoulder either. I remember one time, and I'm not sure Rob Lowe was even old enough, because this, right, this was right around breakfast club time. I remember seeing Rob Lowe in the tippler. And all the girls were like, oh, we got to go to the Tipler. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I remember seeing him. I remember seeing him there. And it was like, it was pretty funny. I mean, being a kid, you had no idea who would be around when you're in a town like Aspen. Well, I mean, I... it was interesting, too, because all of our parents owned the restaurants, owned the stores, owned all this stuff. And so the real thing was these people are here for vacation. They're not here to be entertaining they're here to, you know, and so what ended up happening, which is cool, is a lot of them would come and they felt so comfortable that they'd be, you, it was almost like their extended family in the mountains, you know, and every year they'd come back and it was, all, it was a very different kind of thing. It wasn't like you're just, you know, going to Disneyland. It was like you really sort of, you went there almost because it was revisiting your family again. That certain hotel that my friend owned, you know, they, they loved it so much they'd just go every, every year. You know, and, and and the celebrities that would come were treated kind of by unspoken rule by the locals just as a normal person, either the ones who would who lived there and were part of the community, or the ones who uh, visited, you know, once twice a year. It was almost a badge of honor for uh, a, you know one of us to just treat them normal and and not gush over them, even if there was a little bit of being starstruck in there. Well, yeah, it, I think a lot of it, too, is we got so used like John Denver would just show up and sing at the schools and stuff or whenever there was some event thing. He was always there. He was really a local person. So you kind of got used to seeing people and just hanging out with them. So as a kid, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, that's so and so. You know what I mean? It was there was a little bit more like, oh, that's that's uh, Dionne Warwick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, or, or, yeah, Barty Denton or. um yeah, the but Eagles. I mean, yeah, or yeah, whatever. The, the, Chris and I would, um, you know, stop by on Halloween trick or treating to um, members of the nitty gritty dirt band's house, and they would give out forty fives, and you know, or or I don't know, Chris, were you at the bonfire up at the mine dumps when Bridget Fonda was there? More more than likely, yeah. There were there were times when she would hang out with groups of our friends and. It just yeah, I, yeah. I always thought she was younger than we were. It turns she out was she was like she... four or five years older than we were. Yeah. It's just I, I never actually met her. I had a crush on her from across the fire. <laughs> <laughs> it is so interesting hearing these stories. And because, I mean, I grew up in a small town, too, where 
I wasn't as unsupervised as my parents' generation was. I hear all the time about my dad saying he hopped on his bike at sunrise and didn't come back till sunset. I had a little more. Exactly, yeah. I had a cell phone in middle school, so like they knew where I was. <laughs> but like hearing the fact that you guys are, you know, having bonfires and hanging out and there's like celebrities here and there and trick-or-treating at like celebrities' homes and it's totally yeah. normal. Small town life for me was very different for you, obviously, but it still has its parallels, which is cool. When I moved there with my, my parents in, I think, 75, Main Street was not yet paved. It was only paved shortly after that. So it, it was really a small town. Yeah, at that time, Telluride had a total... The, Telluride didn't even have sidewalks. Yeah. Telluride, Telluride had... The, each store had its own, like... Platform. Sidewalk platform front. And so you'd walk up and down and up and down on these wooden... Like an old West. Like an old West, town. yeah. It was crazy, you know? And so we came at that time where it was just changing from the old way into sort of what now is the new way. Only we, we were there for the very early part of that. You know, so we still had the Swiss villagey stuff around and that fun culture, you know. A lot of people, we ended up, I, I think a big thing that shaped Aspen a lot in those times was after World War II, a lot of Europeans were trying to get out of Europe and they wanted a place similar to the Alps. So we ended up getting a lot of people from France and Switzerland and Germany and that kind of stuff. So there was this culture in the town itself, you know what I mean? Of folks. Stein Erickson, yeah. Yeah, they built the ski industry around that, really. Um, they, uh, the 10th Mountain Division, they built the, the ski hills and they you know, re re landscaped. So you'd have runs, but then you did, you had the, the whole Swiss Alps contingency, you know, Stein Erickson and, and some of the other Olympic skiers that came down and they literally started teaching people how to ski. That was their whole, their whole deal. And it, it became an industry. And there's also a bunch of off. Swedes and Norwegians too there. There was this, yep. an un enclave. It was very interesting because once the skiing set up, you had this other culture that kind of came in because of the skiing which was really interesting. And, and again, being a kid and growing up in it as it was happening, I mean, you'd, you'd be at the Continental, which no longer exists. It's now the Ritz-Carlton, but it was Grand Central. So CBS would be in the lobby and us kids would be pawning off ski pins, trading them with the racers and the people from all over the world and stuff. Hey, or, so we'd say, or sneaking around and, uh, and grabbing jumbo shrimp, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a fun uh, experience. Yeah. That's crazy. So being in the age group that you guys are, did you get kind of like the snowboarding side of it too when that became a fad or was so, it still pretty ski funny, central? Funny you should say that because I was the one that brought the very first Burton snowboard to the mountains and Burton and Sims were the two boards. My other friend, we were the two that got the first snowboards for Christmas presents. Oh so my we God. Were literally the first ones to that throw boards because... on those mountains. My my yeah. dad owned a ski shop, and and at the time it was it was not okay to have snowboards on the mountain. They didn't they didn't let you. Um, well, Highlands and, was private, so they did. But yeah, yeah, but Andy and his brother would walk around with these snowboards on their back, and you know there was almost an anti sentiment towards you know those oh those stupid whatever those things are. You know, it'd be like. You know, see Andy coming up and be like, "What? What is that, dude? What are you doing?" You know, <laughs> you back in the day, that, that, those snowboards actually had the fins. 
Yes. Yeah. That's right. And they were convex. They were con- they It looked were like convex. a yeah, it looked like a surfboard yeah. almost. Yeah. But but Andy and his brother actually uh made a a business, the snowboard brother. Well, so my mom every once in a while this came in handy. My mom had a wholesale cuz she did jewelry in in when we lived in LA before we moved to Aspen. She had a, a she was making really cool jewelry that she sold to all the stores on Rodeo Drive and all that kind of stuff. So she had a wholesale license. And so when we got to Aspen, we got those for holidays. We were like, oh my God, all our friends would love these. But my dad, like, it was hard to find. It was, <laughs> he found them in Denver. And even then it was like the only two they had in Denver. And so we thought, you know, this would be great to make this accessible. And my mom was like, well, I have a wholesale license. We can probably give him a call. I call him up. I'm like, 16 years old and I actually spoke to Jake Burton and he's like, are you really can do that? I'm like, yeah, he's like, great, let's do it. Okay. So we just started buying and selling boards and stuff. That is wild. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I was a super avid snowboarder. So like hearing this is really cool. See, but (laughs) Dean and I have to, we kind of have to trump that one one up <laughs> because we would take the old uh, rental skis out of the dumpster and strap them together with a board and and uh just go straight down the hill with no way to stop it was, yeah, uh, we, it we went fun. into uh his dad's shop we got <laughs> these old skis screwed the wooden board onto them screwed a hole in the front of the of the ski with a string tied a, tied a string on it <laughs> and went down the hill holding on for dear life yeah that honestly sounds like a blast. <laughs> it, it was it was fun, but it was terribly dangerous. I mean, literally, there was no way to stop. There was no way to turn. There was no way to just just like a rocket, just straight to your jump destiny. Off. You, you know? jump basically, you jump off is what you do. <laughs> yeah, we 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 uh, put tacks in the wood so that we wouldn't slip off. Yeah. There's no yeah. straps on our our feet or anything. It was yeah. just. Go for it and pray. Oh my and god! And then if you bailed, if you bailed, that's holding that string. You know the the thing would go flipping around and you know and knocking the people and whatever else it was. And uh, of course, yeah. uh, this is the era of no helmets ever. Yeah. I was just well, yeah. gonna say helmets probably didn't exist. No. <laughs> not for, not for our bikes. Concept. Not for we yeah. would ride bikes without helmets too. So yeah. Yeah, many many bikes and motorcycles. I think Andy had a helmet. My my mom bought me a helmet. It was an old football helmet I used for my mini bike in the summer. So, yeah, and, I had, and, I had and did the dirt bikes. Yeah, yeah, I had a motorcycle, so I had a, a Belmoto three helmet. But that was like, you know, it's so funny because when I met my wife, one of the things because she grew up in a small town out here, but out here in in Portland or, or in Oregon, it's all uh, you know lumber, whereas in Colorado, it's mining. But there are all these old roads that you go on. So she was out there riding on logging roads, and I was out there riding my motorcycle on log on mining roads. So it was kind of it, it was kind of interesting because she was on a horse, I was on a motorcycle. But it was still out in the woods and out on these trails and doing that stuff. And so it's that's part of why I feel like our book we do touch on stuff. It is different. Yes, we do. You know, talk about John Denver and things like that. But that that BMX bike writing and that kind of stuff I didn't Andy, you were a, you were a much better rider than i was i had a i had um an indian 125 that i uh crashed into a parked car with <laughs> I think on your I, on your first day yeah. yeah yeah not on my first day but, <laughs> but oh, i thought it was no i i I'd, I'd ridden it around some but at this point my mother was there at the bottom of the hill we were at the silver king apartments i think this is in the book right and I'm riding it up a hill and I hit a rock 
and go out of control in a wheelie, and I slammed into a parked car at the top of the hill. My leg is between the motorcycle and the car. The gear shift gets punched through the gearbox out the other side. I get dragged over the car and land on my knee. I was wearing a knee pad. Now, my mother is watching from the bottom of the hill. I, I don't recall exactly how old I was. I, I don't think I was yet 15. And she's like, are you okay? And I stood up. I said, I'm fine. I started walking and just fell flat. <laughs> I'm fine, what? but I can't move. <laughs> and that, that was what? the la last day I rode a motorcycle. <laughs> One thing I was going to say when we back a few conversation topics ago, but you were talking about how the celebrity you know, input was, it was just part of our lives. And it, and it really was. And I think it still is today. Lowe would probably be able to tell you more, but you know, Lowe would, he doesn't like to talk about it much, but there was a huge Hollywood contingency in Aspen and there still is, but, but back specifically in the seventies and the eighties, they started to come in, uh, you know, people like Oprah Winfrey would show up and, and just want to hang out and party. And, but, Lowe wouldn't probably say this, and the only reason I bring it up is because he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> but Lowe's dad was uh, a writer in Hollywood, and he was, at the time we were growing up, he was writing some of the biggest movies and television shows that there were. You know, uh, if you go way back, he would he did a lot of the, the Batman. Oh, he did uh, all the, the Batman. He did television all show. Yeah. I watch that every pow, weekend. Sock, you know, all that kind of stuff. I literally watch it every weekend. Yeah, look for Lorenzo Semple uh, Sr. I think maybe it's second or something. But and anyway. In the 70s, he did Papillon. And, and yeah, he did Papillon. And then in the 80s, King he Kong. did King Kong. 70s. Uh, Flash Gordon. And then, and then towards into the early 90s, he was writing the movies for, you know, Batman with... Uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Freeze and all these guys, you know, before the current the Tim franchises. Burton, Tim Burton uh, stuff, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, my point being is that th we grew up with people like that all the time. I mean, they were just our friends. They were just our buddies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean know, we, we didn't really know necessarily what our friends' parents did for a living, you know. We didn't really talk about it. Sometimes we did. We found out later in college or something. Yeah, I mean, you know? yeah. We, we, yeah. we went to school with Bobby with Bobby Williams, Andy Williams' son. Yeah. I had no idea, you yeah. know. And Christian. And, Christian, his older brother Christian was really cool. He was, I've had some good conversations with him. But, but, yeah, if you listen to the old Andy Williams uh, crooner Christmas records and – you can hear Bobby on there when he's a little baby, a little kid, a toddler. You start singing, you know, yeah, here's Bobby, and he comes up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny. But, you know, well, these were just people we grew up with. It just it didn't even really dawn on us or fade us. But I, I think that it, it, it put us in a good place to move on in our lives because, um, you know, my life in New York and Andy's life, um, you know, doing the work that he does, we both – have come in contact in later life with celebrities. One of the stars of the Cosby show was in my wedding, you know, <laughs> and it's just Andy and I have a mutual friend named Camden who unfortunately yeah, he, Camden just, passed Toy, he just passed away, but we, we knew him separately. I worked with him in theater in New York. Andy worked with him on some of his That's projects. My project monster school. Yeah. So I think we were trained on how to 
treat celebrities as though they are real people, which is what they are. Well, and I would say we probably are all four are guilty of it. You know, I tell the story of meeting Glenn Campbell in the airport in L.A. and having a conversation with him and his wife on his when they were leaving for his farewell tour where he was oh yeah starting to suffer with Alzheimer's and, and you know, just struck up a conversation with him. I had no idea who he was. And it was like, this guy's obviously successful. He's got a wife half his age who's gorgeous and... You know, it's like you key know, indicator of success curious. right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, I wonder what this guy did for a living, you know, and I asked him and he's he said, well, I'm a musician and uh, you might have heard of me. And then he, you know, told me some of his stuff, songs and I was like, oh, that's cool. You it's know? the rhinestone yeah. cowboy. That's what I told him. And he was like, yeah, that one. He didn't seem too proud of that one. But he's like, maybe you've heard of some other ones like Wichita line, man, mm -hmm. or something like that, you know. And I, was I, was cool. at a, I, was like, I was at a jazz concert in L.A. I struck up a conversation with this kindly old gentleman only to realize that I'm talking to Robert Altman. <laughs> well, so so now that's a perfect segue because so I, when I lived in L.A. before we moved to Aspen, I went to the very first Montessori school on the West Coast in Santa Monica. And it just so happened that Robert Altman's son was in the school. So he was one of my early friends before I left. He was I'd go to his house on the beach and that you know when you do the little parties and that kind of stuff <laughs> that kind of thing so and carrie grant's daughter jennifer was was in my class as well so it was kind of weird because i came from that in santa monica to ask where it was yeah. i mean to aspen where it was like it almost was just more of the same you know i don't know it was interesting i was more amazed with the alps and the 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 mountain i mean you just look around and it's Again, we're talking about building these sleds and doing this stuff. You know, here in Oregon, we have uh, night skiing with lights and all that stuff. Well, there were times I lived right on the base of Aspen Highlands. And I literally, when it's a full moon, it's bright and it's bouncing off the snow. So you literally could go hike up and then board down, you know, at night. And so we would do that too. Again, no helmets and safety gear and all that stuff. And no but... one knows where you're at. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hate to cut this short. We have about five minutes left here. I don't pay for Zoom. Um, <laughs> but I have so enjoyed all these wonderful stories that you guys have shared. I'm only a few pages into your book, but I am so excited to dive deeper into it and read more about your guys's life growing up in Aspen because I have been laughing and enjoying this so much that... I a book full of stories can only be so much better. So before I let you guys go, give me a quick rundown on where everyone can find this book at. Well, actually, you can find it almost anywhere because we're going, doing it through Ingram Sparks. And most companies now will use Ingram Sparks to do stuff. Any local bookstore can order it. And you can also order it on Twist and Turn Press on, online. Um, that's our sort of setup Amazon, for our channel. Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You name it. Yeah, and if you want, you know, signatures from all four of us, go to Twist and Turn Press and request a signed copy, and we can get you a signed copy. I love and there's that. also uh, the e version just came out too. That's the version yeah. I bought because <laughs> I'm go. a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> so before we totally wrap this up, uh, I I would love for you each to give me like an Easter egg for a story people can look out for as they're reading the book. So just like the title or the premise of one of your favorite stories that you each wrote. Um, okay. All right, for me, look out for the mountain lion. You know what? I think mine, uh, mine would be the snowboarding. 
I, I would have to say that was a very interesting uh, time, you know, and it was just because it, it, it just seeing something that happened, you know, it was being developed in that, that time period. And I felt like that was such a great fun stories of, you know, one of them was, was, was uh, about going out there and getting stuck in an avalanche. I would say mine would be um, look for the famed author William S. Burroughs. <laughs> and then I'll speak for Lowe. I'll just throw one out for him, which would be uh, the Paperboy stories. Yeah, a good good Paperboy story. Yeah, his his actually his chapter on that. He's got a full section on it. We kind of dibble dabble on that. His is he really covers the whole ecology of being a paper boy at that time it's pretty it's pretty great story well i am so excited to read all of these stories and getting to chat with you guys we could probably talk for another couple hours here but i truly appreciate you guys carving time out of your week especially before the holidays to do this and talk about your book and share your stories because they're so special absolutely thank you for taking the time as well yeah thanks this has really been fun Thank you so much for checking out another episode of the Small Town Tourist Podcast. If you want to check out the book, Growing Up Aspen, Adventures of the Unsupervised, it is in the show notes below. If you're looking for more content from the Small Town Tourist, you can always find me on my Instagram at the Small Town Tourist or on Facebook at the Small Town Tourist. If you've got a suggestion for something you think I should check out, do not hesitate to reach out to me. Send me an email, abby, A-B-B-E-Y, at the Small Town Tourist.com. Thank you.